Welcome to Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and I'm joined as always by Federico Vitici. Hello, Fraser, and happy holidays. Hey, happy holidays to you too. There's going to be a little bit of noises off today, I'm afraid. I'm actually recording during school time, as you can hear. So Yeah, that's, that's really uh, probably, you know, not the best time of the year to it be recording a podcast at school. absolutely ideal. But, uh, it's like the last day and there's kids running around and everybody yeah. wants to start the holidays. The world is crazy here today, so we're, just, yeah. we're, we're slipping this in where we can, but you're going to hear the bell going every so often. <laughs> so before, yeah. before we do the show today, I know, Fraser, that you have a bit of follow-up from a listener about something that we said on the last episode. Yeah, so last last show we, we mentioned, or I mentioned, that um, there had been a problem with uh, 32-bit computers running out of space to, to represent the time, and that was in fact not true. It is true that it will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Unfortunately, we've got a bit of time to deal with it. William Leuschner uh, wrote to us and just r- reminded us that the actual date where it's going to happen is January the 19th, 2038, at 1.14pm in a few seconds. So if you're still running a 32-bit computer in 2038, you're going to have a big problem. So time to move on to 64-bits. Mm. So th- we should uh, definitely put a to-do in OmniFocus for yeah. uh, 20, 27, 20, no, what is that, 22 years <laughs> from now? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and <laughs> if, if we'll still be around and uh, OmniFocus will still be around, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll follow up on that. Yep, in episode uh, 2000 of <laughs> Canvas. Um, <Yep. laughs> so for um, the final two episodes of our workflow series, we're going to take a look at the advanced uh, automation concept uh, in the app. Uh, we're going to do an episode today, uh, the first part of advanced automation in workflow. We're going to do the final episode uh, with part two of advanced automation next year for the next episode of Canvas in 2017, the first one. And... The, there's a lot of advanced features and ideas and best practices, you know, tips and tricks that we can use to build on the other aspects of workflow that we mentioned in the past episodes. And by combining those basic features, the app integrations, the web APIs, you know, the basic concepts of workflow, with these advanced features, we can create complex workflows that really take the app to the next level. And... It's because of these advanced features that if we'll, once you master these features, you will be able to take a workflow and transform it into something much more complex, much more powerful. And we organize this, um, th- these two episodes in... in a, we, we try to pick the best, at least the most convenient, the most useful of these advanced features. And I wanted to start with uh, the concept of uh, if block, a conditional block. Um, so w- what is, Fraser, a conditional block? What is a, what is an if uh, statement in Workflow? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, a conditional statement in programming is when you have some kind of logical test and then if that test passes, if, if the logical test is true, a certain block of code or set of actions in Workflow are going to be run. Um, so you would normally describe as if something is true, do this block of code. Now, in Workflow, we have this idea of an if action and what you get there is you get a thing called if otherwise and what this is for people who've programmed before this is the equivalent of an if else statement where you have one block of code that happens if the test is true if the test passes and you have another block of code that's run if the test fails and the test is false and of course you don't have to put anything in 
either one of those branches, you can leave one empty. But most programming languages has have if and an if else as two separate kind of structures. Workflow only has this one, which provides the two pathways, but of course you can leave the otherwise branch empty. So that's what you can do there. And this is often used in res response to things like, uh, if the user gives you some input, and if they give you a certain value, you do one thing. If they give you a different value, you do something else. Or, uh, as with our last show, we're talking about um, talking to APIs. If you search for some information or ask for some information and you don't get anything, you might want to report that to the user as well. So that's the kind of, uh, if you get something, do this block. If you don't get anything, do this other thing, which is usually to give the user an error message of some kind. So what are the types of uh, checks that workflow can do um, what, when you're passing some input to the to the an if block. Okay, so so the if block is just an action, same as every other action workflow, and it takes an input. Uh, and what you can do is you can test the input to the if block uh, against four different things. Firstly, you can check if the input is equal to some value. You can check if the input contains some value. You can check if the input is greater than or less than some value. So it's a little bit more constrained. You can't do any arbitrary logical tests that you can in most other programming languages, but you can do equals contains greater than or less than. But of, of course, you can always use a get variable action just before the if block in order to make sure that some variable you want to test is the input to the if block. So that's one way around having to kind of organize everything so that the input is the thing you want to test. You can store a value in a variable, pull it back just before the if block, and then make that the input to your if block and test that against whatever you need. Yeah, there are some some tips that I, that I want to share with our listeners. Okay. Um, one common scenario would be if you're expecting to have a collection of items, so multiple items uh, need to exist in a variable, how can you check whether that collection is empty or not? And one of the, the, the things that I do is, after saving that collection of items to a variable, say, for example, I don't know, a bunch of screenshots or photos or videos, what I do is I get the variable, then I, I use the count action, to count the items. And by counting those items, if the I can then use a conditional block and say, if the input is zero, it means that the collection is empty. So for example, let's say that I want to have a workflow. And I think this is one of the examples that we're going to put in the show notes. I, I have a workflow that takes uh, some screenshots from the photo library on iOS and combines them into a single image. So I use this for iPhone screenshots that I want to put side by side. And I can run this workflow from the action extension or directly inside the workflow app. But how can I take these two different paths, whether I'm using the extension or the workflow in the app? What I do is I take the images from the action extensions, the action extension, and I save them to a variable. But then I can say, I get the variable, and I count the items. If the result is zero, it means that the workflow is not running from the extension because it hasn't received any item, because the collection of images in the variable is empty, because it counts as zero. It should at least count to two, because I'm passing two images to be combined. So if it's you know less than two or if it's zero, it means that the workflow is running inside the app, so I'm not passing any images. So what I need to do is I need to put a select photos action inside the conditional block. So what I do is count the items, 
if it's zero, otherwise select photos. That's what I do. And I think once you once you get this idea of um, checking for the existence of a variable or checking if you know it's less than or greater than, uh, that that's a good way to basically instead of having separate workflows. So I could have just made you know a, a workflow to run inside the Photos app and a separate workflow to run inside the Workflow app. But that's basically just wasting my time and wasting my space in the Workflow library. I can just make a single workflow and depending on some condition, I can use a conditional block to make a single workflow that takes two different directions. That's the idea. That's really nice. I hadn't actually thought about that, but this is something that is, particularly if you're building workflows to distribute to other people, uh, taking some care about things like um, maybe the user won't know that you're supposed to pick at least two photographs in order to put them side by side or something like that. So putting a conditional in just to check that the user's done the right thing before you, you blunder on with the rest of your script is yep. a really nice way to sort of take care of the user. Because these are programs after all, and if we are going to distribute them and share them, it really makes sense to help the user not make a mistake with it. Yeah, uh, and, a, and a final uh, conditional tip. Um, this is probably not the most elegant way uh, to, to handle this, but you can do nested if blocks. So you can put mm -hmm. a conditional block inside another conditional block in workflow. And again, it's not the most elegant kind of setup because it, you know, um, the workflow interface isn't really optimized for this. Uh, you, you get a long list of, you know, conditional blocks and it's hard to scroll, but it's possible. So what you can do is uh, you create a first conditional block and then in the otherwise section, uh, you drag in another conditional block. So what you can do is you can check for multiple conditions in a row. For example, you can say if the input equals zero. Otherwise, you drag in another conditional block and you say if the input equals one. And then again, otherwise, if the input equals two and so forth. And this allows you to check for precise conditions to be met, um, which comes really... Uh, it's really useful if you're dealing with web APIs, for example, that return um, specific data, but in multiple variations. And if you really want to check for that precise condition, you can do this, um, you know, this deeper um, level of conditional blocks in workflow. Again, it's not the most convenient feature, and you need to scroll this long list of uh, nested menus, but it's definitely possible. Yeah, this is, w workflow is kind of weak in this area because most programming languages have got an if statement and then an if else statement. That's the one workflow yeah. does have. But also you often get if, else, if, else, if, yeah. else. So a multi-way conditional branching structure and workflow doesn't support that. So you have to kind of fake it by putting putting another yes. if statement inside the otherwise branch. So, you know, fingers crossed for, you know, workflow 2.0 or whatever, having a lot more uh, flexibility and power in terms of its its conditional structures. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the other type of block, which is the repeat block. And there are two kinds of repeat. Uh, repeat for each and repeat X number of times. Tell me the difference, Fraser. Okay, so repeat for each is is what's often called an iterator in programming. It's a slightly more modern structure th than some others. And what it does is it takes a collection. So if, for example, if you were to run an action like uh, select photographs, and the, you, what would come back from that is the user might, if you allow them to choose multiple, you might get a list of 10 or 12 photographs. Then repeat for each 
we'll repeat our set of actions once for every item in the collection. And it's a nice safe way to do it because you know you don't have to keep track of how many things are in the collection or arrange uh, to have uh, a variable that has the right number of things in it. Uh, you just say repeat for each and however many the user has chosen, you will do one iteration of your loop for that. Uh, Repeat X number of times is what's sometimes called a for loop in programming or a fixed loop. And what that does is it iterates a specified number of times and you specify when you're programming the workflow. Repeat this five times or repeat it ten times or whatever. And you've got to know ahead of time how many times you want to do that loop. So um, that's uh, that's a different way to do it uh, when you know how many times you want to do it. So say you want to ask for four things, you could do repeat four times and so on. Now, just something to say about repeat x number of times, when you are inside a repeat loop, there is a new variable called repeat index that is only available to blocks inside the loop. And what that is, is it's a number, and that tells you which iteration of the loop you're on. So if you've done it, um, you know, three times out of five, that repeat index will be three, and then four, and then five, and then it'll, the loop will stop. So uh, those are the two basic kinds of loops that are available in Workflow. And there are some limitations for programmers that are familiar with the concept of loops from programming languages when they try to use Workflow, uh, th th there are some missing features. Uh, you, we we're talking about this on Twitter also. Uh, for example, there's no equivalent of a while loop. Yeah, so a while loop is, some, it is a loop that runs until some condition becomes true. Uh, and Sometimes you can sort of fake that by changing the loop index in a for loop, but you're, you're, there's no way to do that in workflow either. So uh, you can't really have just a straightforwardly conditional loop. It's got to be either iterating over a set collection or a set number of iterations of a loop. The other thing that's often missing for experienced programmers is uh, other programming languages have two statements which are typically called something like break and continue. And what continue does is it usually stops the execution of the current iteration of the loop and continues with the next one. And break will jump you out of the loop and continue with the program below the loop. And neither of those programming patterns are available in workflow. So just if you're looking for them, they're simply not there. So just be aware of that. Yeah, I saw on Twitter this week, Fraser, that you uh, were in a, in a discussion with the workflow developers about mm. something that you came across for variables and repeat blocks. Yeah, I, I I got really tripped up on this one, and it's quite. And workflow does a weird thing that anybody who's programmed before will, will be quite confused by, um, which is that when you have a repeat block, um, the best way I can describe it is that a repeat block um, it sort of collects together what happens inside the loop, and then the repeat block itself has an output which is the sort of aggregation of all of those things. So what I was doing was I had a very simple um, five times repeat loop where inside I had a text action which said, hello, repeat index. And I was using that, I was adding that text to a variable. But what I was getting was instead of getting hello, one, two, three, four, five, like I would have expected, what I was getting was hello, one, and then hello, one, two, and then hello one two three and hello one two three four hello one two three four five and what was happening was the repeat loop was feeding the contents of my variable back into itself uh, and every time I went through the loop it would add the previous state plus the new one that I was adding uh, which was really confusing so the idea the, the correct approach to that was to have the text block inside the loop but then have the add to variable at the end of the loop outside the loop because the output of the loop would be the 
five different versions of the text block, hello, one, two, three, four, and five, they were fed out of the loop and into the next step. And that's very unusual for anybody who's got a programming experience because loops typically don't have um, output of their own. They just repeat whatever's inside them. So uh, the, the workflow repeat block behaves a little strangely. So it's something just to be aware of that often you can... Do a little bit, do less work inside the loop, do less kind of data management, and then just save the output of the loop, and that usually is what you expect it to be. So, in terms of what you can do with repeat blocks, um, they are really one, perhaps one of my most used uh, features in workflow, and that's because you can save a lot of time by combining actions inside a repeat block instead of performing those actions manually every time. Now, I'm going to give you a simple example. Um, let's say that you have, again, five PDF documents or five photos uh, that you want to upload to iCloud Drive. Normally, you would have to go to iCloud Drive and you know uh, save one image after the other. Uh, but with Workflow, we can save a lot of time with basically one action, which is select photos, Make sure that you can select multiple photos at once and then repeat with each. And the key idea to understand here is that while the input changes on every pass of the loop, the set of actions is the same. So for what we can do is for every photo, so starting from the first one up to the fifth one, we can take the photo, save it to Google Drive and move to the next one. And this is really a simple concept, but it gives you the idea of what you can do with the repeat blocks. You can work with files, you can work with images, you can work with text. And an example of text that I find myself uh, doing all the time is you can build text lists from results that you obtain from a web API, for example, uh, or you know some other integration that you have in Workflow. And there are two ways to create a list of text results with repeat blocks. The best way usually is to use add to variable. So let's say that you have a dictionary of items as, it, as the input. And then you say repeat with each. And on each pass of the loop, you take the value of a value from the dictionary and you use add to variable. So let's say that I have a dictionary where the key is... Uh, there are multiple keys for each student's name, and each value is the name of the student. And I want to create a list of student names. What you do is you get the value, and you say add to variable. And this loop iterates over every single value in the dictionary. At the end, you have this variable. Let's call it student names. What you need to do to create a list, an actual plain text list that you can copy and paste into something else, you need to use combined text outside of the loop. So what you do is you finish the loop, then you say get variable. You get the variable, then you say combine text. And you combine the text with the new line as a separator. And what the workflow will do is it will take the variable, which contains a collection of items, the student names, it will combine them as new lines, and you will get a single string of text with a list of student names. And there's also, this is the most elegant way to do it, but there's also the kind of maybe the, the more hardcore way, if you will, 
which is you basically use a variable and a text action inside a repeat loop and you take advantage of the fact that a variable can reset itself every time a loop starts over. So what you do is you're basically doing what in other programming languages, for example, such as Python, you're appending some text to the bottom of a variable, to the bottom of a text variable. And you can do this if, you, if you've been keeping an eye on the workflows that I share at Mac Stories. You will see that you basically use a text action with input above a variable tag and you basically reset the variable every single time. And this is a, it's kind of unintuitive to describe, but it, ma- it kind of makes sense once you see it in a, in a workflow. And it's a, this comes in handy if you want to have, for example, a custom separator between items when you want to create a text list of items and you want to have some special characters in between them, for example. And I guess the, the best way to, to, to understand the repeat blocks and the, and the, you know, repeating X number of times and repeating for each item, again, it's just to play around with what you have and take a look at the workflows where you think that maybe you're doing a lot of things manually, whether it's picking files or confirming where to upload them, for example. Usually that can be automated with a repeat loop and with a combination of if blocks and condition and uh, repeat blocks. So, you know, once again, experiment, play around. This is one of the most powerful features of workflow. Federico, can I tell you about something that's great? Yes. Okay, this week's episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash canvas. You'll get a 14-day free trial, and when you enter the offer code canvas at checkout, you get a holiday special of 50% off your first invoice. Now, Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who's got a site. And they do this by offering powerful and easy-to-use tools and services. For example, if you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, your database, or your website will be a breeze. Pingdom take care of this by using more than 70 global test servers to emulate visits to your site, checking availability as often as every minute. These days, websites are becoming more and more sophisticated and very often include several dependencies such as contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, login, search functionality, and loads more. So Pingdom makes it possible to monitor the availability of all of these key interactions people will have with your site. So let's be real, stuff breaks on the internet all the time and every month Pingdom detects around 13 million outages. That's more than 400,000 a day. So regardless of whether you have a small website or you're managing a full infrastructure, it's super important to monitor its availability and performance. All Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor and they will take care of the rest. When Pingdom detects an outage, you will be immediately alerted so you can fix the error before the downtime affects you. You don't want to be caught out when someone wants to access your site, so you need Pingdom. Check it out today, and you'll be the first to know when your site is down. So go to pingdom.com slash canvas for a 14-day free trial, and because it's a holidays, Pingdom are offering a special 50% off your first invoice when you use the code canvas at checkout. Thank you so much to Pingdom for their support of Canvas and Really FM. So what is the difference between arrays and dictionaries? 
I'm glad you asked. <laughs> as always. <laughs> yeah, as always, yeah. So uh, in programming, an array is uh, essentially a single named variable that can contain multiple values. And the way I, when I'm teaching programming in school, the way I often draw it is kind of like a, a long box as if it was mailboxes and just subdivided across the way. Uh, so what you have is you have a number of sort of slots or, or indexes as they're called in programming. Uh, and they usually start at zero. And you can access them by getting the zeroth element or the element one or two or three or four. And you can actually pick out individual parts of that list. Um, in workflow, they are called lists. Some other programming languages use that term too. Uh, more generally, they're probably called arrays. But in workflow, you can create a list in three different ways. And firstly, what you can do is you can use the list action to manually specify a list. So this is useful when your workflow can sort of do a fixed number of things, but the user has to tell you which one it is. So for example, I have a workflow where um, I I can put in an re automatic reminder for homework, but the first thing that happens is I have a list of all the classes that I might want to put it in, and I choose one from the list, and then my, that sets a variable that is then used later on in the workflow. So that's quite a, a useful uh, option to make a little menu that you can use is to specify a list manually and then choose from it later on. You've already mentioned Federico, you can use add to variable. So this is one of the things that's a little bit weird with workflow is that the way that you create um, a array autom um, on the fly is to create a variable and then keep adding to it. And that sort of automatically turns the variable into an array and then you can add it there, which is kind of an unusual way to do it in programming. Uh, and then the last one is you can call an action and quite often the output of an action is a list of some kind. So for example, if you call find photos with multiple uh, selection enabled or find calendar events or something like that, then what you will get is you will get a list back and then you can work with the list after that. Yeah, once you once you end up with these lists, um, the, the best way to work with them is to use the choose from list action, which is uh, especially after the recent updates, one of the most powerful actions in workflow, and it's going to be one of our uh, topics in the final episode of our workflow series. Uh, but the choose from list action, it's uh, you know it allows you to choose one of multiple items from a list. But as we'll discuss, there's a support for rich previews. In, in lists, uh, which are not, they used to be limited to just uh, text buttons, basically, text labels. But now they can be so much more. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to discuss this in, in, the, in the final episode. Uh, what about dictionaries? Uh, because okay. I get the array, the concept, which is a, mm -hmm. basically it starts at zero and it counts up. But what's the dictionary? So a, a dictionary is a, a little bit different and it's... I described an array as, as a set of storage locations where you have a numerical index for to name each one, so zero up to however many items you've got. A dictionary is more like an array where the indexes are some other value. And the best way to think about it is to, to think about its namesake, an actual paper dictionary, where you have a word, and then beside the word you have one or more definitions, okay? So you have uh, an index item, which or, or a key as it's called, which is, is the um, is the thing you're looking up, and then indexed against that, you've got whatever else um, whatever else is stored for that value. Okay, so basically, it's like a like a real dictionary. 
like you're yeah, f- yeah. flipping through a dictionary. Um, it, I don't know why it took me a long time to to understand this difference between arrays and dictionaries, and I, and I guess it, it made more sense once I was able to visualize this difference with workflow, which really makes it easy to see like the, a list is a list of items and a dictionary, you can tap into the different fields for the key and the value. And yeah. w- because of dictionaries, um, I was able to put together some of the more advanced workflows that I have, especially because a lot of web APIs, they mm-hmm. they return results as JSON, um, which can be passed um, as a dictionary in workflow. And you can use... So when when a web API returns a JSON result, you can you can say get dictionary from input, and then get value from dictionary to extract a specific key and its value. So this yeah. combination is really powerful, and I, and I have an example um, in the show notes. It's a Spotify workflow. I think I shared this before, but it basically what it does is a, two interesting things. The first one it uses a Spotify link for a song and it uses a regular expression which I'm going to ask you about shortly okay. to to extract the ID of a song so each Spotify link has a unique ID for the song you're sharing and I use a re- uh, regex to extract that ID then I use the Spotify API which is a web API it's open it, you know especially when it comes to search it doesn't require any authentication to look up the song through the ID um and Spotify returns uh, some JSON, which I can parse as uh, a dictionary in workflow. And what I do is I, I use multiple get dictionary value actions in a row, basically to navigate nested dictionaries. Because there can be occasions where you have a dictionary inside another dictionary. And that's the case for Spotify, where there's a, there's a master result which is the the um, you know like a whole dictionary that contains everything, and then once you go deeper into each level of the dictionary, you reach the artist's key, and inside this artist's dictionary, there's a bunch of sub dictionaries <laughs> where you mm-hmm. need where you can find a whole lot of information like. Uh, the name of the band or, you know, the, the, the photo, the, the page on Spotify. And I needed to navigate this dictionary to get the name of the artist. And so by using this multiple get v- dictionary value actions, I was able to go from a Spotify link to the name of the song and the name of the artist uh, using the Spotify API and workflow, which is pretty awesome, honestly. Yeah, it's a very common pattern when you're working with any kind of web API because essentially what you're doing there is you're talking to a database. And another example I just put in the notes as a hypothetical is if you're trying to download someone's Twitter account information, every Twitter account has got the same attributes, right? You've got a username, a display name, a bio, a profile picture, and so on. And those attributes are there for any account. So they would be the keys in the dictionary. So they would be the names of the fields. But the actual values that you retrieve for any one account would be different, right? So my username is different from your username, but we've both got a username. So the key would be username. And then stored against that would be, you know, Vitici for you. And against that for me would be Fraser Spears. So it's the same fields, but different values. And that's really what a dictionary is, is 
very, very powerful for. And what it means is when you read the program, you can say, well, okay, now I'm accessing the username field. Rather than imagine if it all, all you had was an array, you would just have to know that the username is item zero and the display name is item one yeah. and the bio link is item two. You just have to somehow know that. Whereas with a dictionary, you can say, get me the bio, get me the username, get me the display name. And it becomes a much more readable program uh, once you've got a dictionary in, in the mix too. And the the final uh, item of discussion today is regular expressions, uh, which is a powerful way to search and replace text. It's common to every programming language. Uh, if it's a programming language, there's likely an implementation of regular expression for it. So tell me, Fraser, what is a regular expression? Give me the explanation that you would give to your students. What, what, is, a, <laughs> what is a reject? Well, I, I actually, I, I never teach regular expressions in oh, school. No. So, so I've, <laughs> but I have debated doing it, actually, because I think it is... It is one of the top five computing superpowers is if you know a regular, know a regular expression language, um, you have got a capability that nobody else has got. And I think it's, <laughs> it, it's something that's really, really worth learning. Um, so what, what a regular expression is, okay, is, is it's a technique for searching and replacing text. Now, everybody knows find and replace in a word processor where you find a specific string and you take every instance of that and you replace it with another string. That's okay except when you get to a situation where you want to really match the structure of the text rather than the individual characters. So what you're doing with a regular expression is you're matching a pattern in the text rather than any individual example. Um, and I'll, for example, if, if you had a, a, I often have this problem in school where you're dealing with a comma separated value export from a spreadsheet that you want to reorder in some way. Um, what you can do is you can take uh, a regular expression and maybe you've got like um, last name comma first name and you want to swap that around. So you want to have the first name in the first place and the last name second. That would be very difficult to do with search and replace because you don't know what everybody's name is and you'd have to find them all individually and swap them around. But with a regular expression, it's really easy because what you're really going to say is you're going to say, find a sequence of letters followed by a comma and a space and then another sequence of letters, okay? So you're really sort of trying to describe what is it that's here, what's the pattern, rather than what are the individual letters in, in the string. And when your regular expression matches some text, what you can then do is you can capture different parts of it and use them to rearrange the text. So, for example, you would say, you know, match a, a sequence of uh, zero or more characters, a comma and a space, and then capture the second group of zero or more characters, and what you would then do is say, replace that with the second group, comma, space, the first group. So that way you could take the second word and the first word and swap them around. And that would work for every row that matches that same pattern of characters, comma, space, characters. But you wouldn't have to bother with what any individual name was. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfect. Yes. So it's like, it's a, it's a way to, it's a way to describe like the, the category of the, the text you're looking for instead of the precise bit of text, like a person's first name. You're saying, I want some letters and then I want a space and then a comma. So you're yeah. describing the pattern rather than the precise text. Yeah. Or if, for example, you, you were trying to find um, dates and you knew the dates were all, you know, four digits for the year, dash two for the month, dash two for the day, you could look for a sequence of four digits, a dash, two digits, a dash, and another two digits. 
and that would find any doesn't matter what the date is but anything that was a date in your document it would find that and then say you maybe had to change the date format you could rearrange it there by rearranging each of those three parts that you found and put the month first and the day second and the year last yeah. if you wanted to yeah. do that yeah. so how do you describe these uh parts patterns in in a in a regular expression well this is where it gets horribly complicated and this is the bit that sort of keeps <laughs> most people off uh, regular expressions is because when somebody goes oh look at this regular expression i wrote and it just looks like somebody fell on the keyboard <laughs> um people just go well i don't understand that and and, and regular expressions have sometimes been described as a write-only programming language in that you you can write it but you can't ever read it back <laughs> to, even to yourself um, but some very very basics right um you would use a period character and that would match any character, one example of any character. Uh, and then asterisk means zero or more of that thing. So you could write dot star and that search pattern would match any sequence of characters. Okay? Yeah. Instead of asterisk, you could use plus, which means one or more of that thing. So you can't have zero, it won't match zero characters, but it would match one character yeah. uh, or more. Uh, and then you can do what are, are called character classes, which only match specific sets. And you put them inside square brackets. So what you would do is if you put in square bracket, capital A dash capital Z square bracket, what that would mean is match here um, any uppercase letter from A to Z. And you could put a star on that to find any run of uppercase letters if you wanted to, and so on and so on. Uh, that's all I really want to say for, on that for right now yeah. because uh, doing it over radio is very difficult. Yes. But the other the other magic trick is if you put any gr any matching group inside parentheses, then you can use that to replace. That's called a, um, a a capture group, and what happens there is anything that matches the stuff inside the parentheses is stored, and you can then reference what was matched in your replacement pattern. So for example, my first name, last name group there, if I have dot star in brackets, a comma and a space, and dot star in parentheses again, what I would then do is in my replacement string, I could use dollar one and dollar two, and they would be the text that was matched by the first group and the text that was matched by the second group. And then I can use them in the replacement pattern to put, the, put that text somewhere else effectively. And so those are the basic power user moves of regular expressions, matching specific characters, uh, matching specific numbers or types of number of them, and then using captured groups as replacement patterns uh, to, to put um, your text back in a different order, basically. Yeah, and it can go really in depth because any uh, regex uh, engine usually has a lot of um, ways to describe what you're looking at. There's a, there's a, patterns to, for example, to say, I want to have lowercase or uppercase letters, or I want to have word type sequ sequences, or I want to have white space, or uh, and yeah. you can go really, really deep, like I want to use a positive and negative look aheads and look behinds, mm -hmm. which are a way to say, I want to find something that is followed by something else or that is not followed or preceded by something else. So you can be really precise with... Um, rejects and there's a couple of resources fraser that you uh, suggested uh, our listeners check out if they want to learn more um 
Yeah, the, the there are different regular expression syntaxes available, and the one that's built into workflow is is the one from the ICU project. So we'll yes. put a link to the show notes. Um, for, that's the exact flavor of re- regular expressions that workflow uses. And I just want to recommend the book as well. There's been a book for years called Mastering Regular Expressions by Jeff Friedel, which is the gold standard for uh, learning how to do regular expressions. So uh, that's that's one that's definitely worth picking up. When it comes to workflow, uh, again, we don't we don't want to explain <laughs> uh, regular expressions, but keep in mind that the ICU uh, flavor is the one that you need to deal with. And there's uh, two actions that you need to be familiar with. And again, play around a lot with this because once you get the idea, once you get the implementation, it's going to be super powerful. So the first one is match text. Uh, you have some text and you want to run a regular expression against that text to extract or to match a pattern. Uh, what you do is you flip over, you, you flip the uh, regular expression toggle in the match text action. You write down your uh, rejects pattern and you pass some text, you go through match And then if there's a match, you're going to find a result uh, as the output. The best way to to debug and to work with this, usually uh, what I do is I have some text, I test a pattern, and then I put uh, an alert action uh, after that. So I have a quick way to preview if there's a match, and I can also cancel uh, the workflow and I can start over, change the pattern, and test again. And the reason that I use a, that I use a, um, an alert is that the, there's a cancel button. Uh, otherwise, if I, if I had to use quick look, there would be no cancel button. It would be too slow. And the other, the other action that I would suggest is uh, get group from matched text. So this action lies on the assumption that you have a successful match for your rejects. And that you're using capturing groups. And uh, capturing groups are useful to extract multiple bits of text from a single match. So, for example, let's say that you have a person's name and the address. And in between those, there's a colon. So what you do is you create a capturing group for the person's name. You put a colon in your pattern. And then you create a second capturing group for the address. Capturing groups start at one, so one would be the first group, two would be the second group, zero would be the entire match, usually, at least in, I think in Python it's this way. Uh, any workflow should be the same. Um, anyway, you can count cap- capturing groups, and with the get group from match text action, you can put in a number and say, I want group number two, and you will get the result. The, the best practice that I would suggest is, once you have some text, and a match text action with a, for example, with a lot of capturing groups. I mean, I have rejects uh, 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 actions with like six or seven groups. What 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 is useful is you save the match to a variable. So you use text match text set variable because that allows you later in the workflow you can just get the variable and then extract a group every single time. This, again, comes down to the fact that workflow doesn't have a, an easy way to avoid this repetition of get variable, get details, get variable, get details. But So you, 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 can, save a, you can save a reject match to a variable. And um, I have an extreme example <laughs> in the <laughs> show notes where, <laughs> I don't know if you installed it, Fraser, but there's like... Um, 
This is for a workflow that I will detail in the future. It's about uh, an integration with an email app um, that is coming soon. And I basically created my own um, email template uh, to extract details from an email message and convert that email message into a Todoist task. And to do that, I created my own custom separators, which I'm using in a Regex in combination with capturing groups to extract those precise details that I need to have to create a new task. And you're not going to be able to use this workflow just yet, but take a look at the text action and the match text and the flow of saving the match and getting a capturing group from the Regex, you get the idea why you can do a workflow. And, uh, you know, once this integration comes out, I, I will make sure to have uh, some follow-up in Canvas. But, you know, once again, uh, alerts to test Regex and capturing groups to make sure that you're getting the exact value that you need. And good luck, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, regular expressions, learning them is a kind of, it's best done when you've got an actual problem that you want to solve. Uh, and I think that's uh, something that's is worth trying to find a problem maybe to, to try and just learn it with. But be aware that there is this whole other world of search and replace that is not uh, typically possible just in a normal word processor. Um, there are also, I don't have any off the top of my head, but there are apps you can get, I think in the App Store and certainly um, for the Mac as well, where um, you can basically use it as a way to learn regular expressions. So you can put in some text, put in a regex, and, and it will show you what matches where. Like visually, it'll see you, you can see what matches. Um, and that's, uh, that's quite an interesting uh, way to try and learn as well. Just interactively learn regular expressions by changing bits in your pattern and seeing how that brings something into the match or excludes something from the match, depending on what it is you've added. So that's a, another trick for learning the whole technique as well. Yeah, and um, once you once you learn uh, uh, regular expressions, um, you're you're gonna. It's one of those like experiences you go through, and once you know, you're gonna look at all your workflows and be like, I can use rejects in so many ways now. <laughs> it's like yeah. a superpower yeah. that you gain yeah. because you 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 understand that the majority of our time when we are automating stuff, we're dealing with patterns and we're dealing with repetitions and we're dealing with data that is tends to be structured always in the same way and regex is perfect for those types of automations so once you know you're gonna be like oh i get it now i can use regex in so many ways <laughs> yeah yeah it's going to really really help a lot of things so federico that's us for the year that we are done that is show number 26 uh, we have been talking workflow, we've been talking arrays and dictionaries and loops and all kinds of stuff and I hope the feedback has been great here. Uh, I know you've heard some too on Twitter and, and people have really yeah. uh, unlocked a whole lot of new things for themselves uh, with this series of shows so I hope it's been useful to, to everybody. Yeah, I hope so and we have one final show to begin the year and just... Uh, you know, so next year can be all about automation for for our listeners. So I think it's been it's been great so far. It's been a lot of fun. Yep, that, and that will be our one year anniversary show because if you recall, that was when oh, really? we began. Uh, Twenty sixteen was uh, just at the beginning of January, wasn't it? Yeah. What better way then? <laughs> the, Absolutely. The, the first anniversary we we end the workflow series. That's perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's it for Christmas. We were going to take 
uh, one show off. So we will be back with you in the beginning of January. Um, so four weeks from the release date of this show, we'll have our next show. Uh, stay tuned and we'll be back with you in 2017.